Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian Podcast. My name is Dean Jones, the Well-Seasoned Librarian. Today is Season 2, Episode 7 of the podcast. Today, our guest is Lisa Steele, who is a fifth-generation chicken keeper living on a farm in Maine with her husband and mixed flock of chickens, ducks, and geese. She is a Maine master gardener and the author of six top-selling books on raising backyard poultry. Her new book is an egg cookbook published by HarperCollins. The host of the TV show Welcome to My Farm, which aired on NBC in Maine and won three 2021 Telly Awards and was nominated for a Regional Emmy Award, Lisa has been featured on The View, The Hallmark Home and Family Show, and HGTV's Martha Knows Best. She has been published in the Farmer's Almanac, Wall Street Journal, Forbes, and Country Living Magazine, and her website, Fresh Eggs Daily, has been named one of the top garden blogs by Better Homes and Gardens Magazine. I really enjoyed getting to talk to Lisa. It was a really fun conversation, and I got to ask a lot of questions and learn a lot about raising poultry, and also about being an entrepreneur. She has a lot to say, and I think you're going to enjoy this conversation as much as I did recording it. So, onward to the podcast. Welcome to the Well-Seasoned Librarian. Today I'm talking to Lisa Steele from Fresh Eggs Daily. Thank you for being here, Lisa. Hey, Dean. Thanks for having me. What's Maine like today? Maine is overcast. This summer, it's either been hot and humid or overcast and raining, which is kind of odd. You know, usually we have gorgeous summers, like in the high 70s, you know, a little breeze. But yeah, this has been not the greatest weather. That's okay. It's still Maine, so (laughs) love it. I've been looking at your uh, YouTube videos online and they're so beautiful and well photographed. Everything looks very just gorgeous. I've never been to Maine, but I look like I really want to go because <laughs> it just looks gorgeous. <laughs> it is really pretty. I mean, any season. And that's, that's part of the reason. I grew up in Massachusetts and lived in different places because my husband was in the Navy. And um, I just miss New England so much because of the four seasons. You know, just when you think one season couldn't be any more beautiful, you go into the next season and you're like, oh my God, this is beautiful too. So. I would love to have seasons. I've lived in Idaho and Washington, so I remember four seasons, but um, in California, we have kind of one vague season that subtly alternates throughout the year, but not much. (laughs) And then occasionally it rains. Yeah. If we're (laughs) lucky. Yeah. Yeah. So you are a writer, entrepreneur, and you have your own TV show and your own uh, YouTube channel. You have a lot on your plate. How did you, how did all this begin for you? You know, it's really funny because there was no plan and I didn't go into it really planning to create a brand or earn a living or really do anything other than post pictures of my chickens on Facebook. Um, it was back in 2009 and we'd gotten chickens and Facebook was just kind of getting popular, you know, so I was posting pictures of my chickens and um, my friends started getting annoyed. I guess it's like when people post their baby pictures and you're like enough with baby pictures. So yeah. I started a separate page. I just kind of picked the name Fresh Eggs Daily out of a hat and I started a business page to put all my chicken pictures on and people started liking them and asking questions and that led to a blog, which led to the, the book, which led to another book and the TV show and all the social media platforms. And yeah, it's become, you know, like a full-time business without really having 
that plan or, or path in mind. Now, I'm going to circle back to this because I want to talk more about Fresh Eggs Daily as a business model. But for our listeners who are not familiar with it, can you tell us about Fresh Eggs Daily and what it is? Yeah, so I uh, basically that's how I started out. But my whole concept behind what I was doing and which I think is what resonated with people, it was very much being in the right place at the right time. I was talking about chicken keeping. It was the recession. A lot of people were out of work. They were worried kind of like this past year about how they were going to feed their families and where their food was going to come from. And chicken keeping just got really, really popular really fast. And people were looking for resources. There wasn't as much out there. There wasn't an Instagram. Um, social media wasn't nearly as busy and crowded as it is now. There weren't even really many books on chicken keeping. So I was in the right place at the right time. I think with the right message that really resonated with people who wanted to do things naturally, who were interested in raising chickens for eggs to feed their family healthier. So they didn't want to use all kinds of chemicals and, and commercial medications. And that was sort of the advice that was out there at the time. It was just kind of feed your chickens, collect the eggs. And if they get sick, they're probably going to die and then just buy another one. Right. That was the model when I was in uh, FFA when in the eighties, that was basically it. That was pretty much all the info you got. <laughs> Yeah, and that didn't really sit well with me. You know, our chickens are our pets. And I think that back then, and, and definitely, especially in this past year, you know, they're becoming backyard pets, and they're almost replacing a, a dog in many ways. They're, they're pretty self-sufficient once you have everything set up, and people are realizing that there's a huge benefit to having some chickens in your backyard, you know, so they want to keep them healthy. So I was talking a lot about using herbs and edible flowers and natural supplements and working on building their immune systems and just kind of all the things that we do as, as humans, as a family, and a lot of it really does apply to chickens. And I started reading and, you know, finding some old books and using some old timer methods. I mean, those old timers really knew what was going on. You know, right. they, they really needed their chickens to be healthy. It was their livelihood and they couldn't spend a lot of money. So they were super economical. They did what worked. And so I started bringing kind of all that back and people started responding. So you know, once Instagram started, of course, I was on there and I started doing YouTube videos um, and just really talking about raising chickens and ducks. And now we have geese as well. And it just sort of was like a snowball that that just kept rolling and rolling. Um, and I guess sort of not really the culmination, but I think it was maybe back in 2018 or 17, I approached our local um, TV station about doing a show and the, the um, manager of the station had chickens. She loved the idea. And so I started doing a, a TV show locally here in Maine, which has been a blast. I, I think um, I remember last year when we had during the quarantine, when we were having some of the shortages, one of the ones I saw impacted was eggs. I know that we were uh, putting a moratorium on eggs and then um, we saw a lot of uh, the store that we went to, Winco, started using a lot of local producers pretty fast, a lot of organic producers. And I think a lot of people have that on their mind, like, hey, maybe I should have some chickens in case, you know, eggs get scarce, you know? Yeah, we had, I saw a sign in the store that you were limited to, like, you could only buy one or two dozen eggs or something like that. Um, it's very comforting to know that with chickens in your back, yard and a garden, you would never starve to death. You know, right. you, you can really feed your family pretty, 
pretty easily. Yeah, I mean, that's what got me gardening again. And I'm really looking at once we get our own place, getting chickens, because, you know, it's what you said just is exactly right. You know, having eggs when you don't have a lot or if you have a shortage is a really nice resource to have. And you could always eat it. It's eggs. important. Yeah. It's a great protein source. I mean, unless you're ready to go out and start shooting squirrels and rabbits and stuff, you know, yeah. you don't want to just become you know, vegetarian uh, because you have to. I mean, if that's right. your choice, that's great. But, you know, to have a protein source that doesn't involve actually killing the animal, um, which which I think appeals to a lot of people too. I, I, you know, I don't know that the average soccer mom is ready to start raising rabbits for meat or, you know, that kind of thing. But, but you can sort of be a homesteader and feel like you're taking control of your food um, with chickens and it's not traumatic necessarily <laughs> unless a predator gets in. But you know, it's a good thing whether you have kids. As somebody who's, you know, worked with chickens in the past, I was really encouraged and excited about your line of poultry supplements. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I thought it was nice because it reminded me a lot of the stuff that we see about pets and stuff. Because it was not just like for a food source, but it was almost for their well-being and like their health. Like, Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Right. Yeah, I actually, because I was doing all this research and looking into ways to build my chickens' immune systems and keep them healthy, it's hard to find a vet for chickens. Um, I mean, it's hard to find livestock vets sometimes anyway, but it's specifically for chickens. So you really want to keep them from getting sick because it's going to be hard to find somebody who can treat them or, or diagnose them. So early on, I started using some supplements that were formulated for other animals, for horses or goats or dogs. I mean, pretty much any other type of animal, there's supplements out there and they really weren't for chickens. So I started using these other supplements. I started seeing that they were working and my chickens were healthy and not getting sick. And I started recommending them to people, but you know, there was a horse on the label or a dog on the label. And so people were getting confused. So finally I contacted the company and said to them, can you please just put a chicken on the label with some of these products? because it's hard for me to promote them when there's not a chicken on the label. And so they said, well, why don't we just do a private label line of products for you and we'll do even better than putting a chicken on the label. We'll put your name on the label. So that's what we did. We formulated this, this line that was products that I have been using for you know, over a decade now. They, they honed in and specifically um, targeted poultry. And I think it's a great line. Like you said, it, it's, it's not only contributing to the chicken's health. Uh, it's contributing to healthier eggs. I just launched Flock Flax, which they've studied and proven that the flax that chickens eat, the, it'll make their eggs have more omega-3s. So the benefits of that flax not only helps the chicken, but also ends up in her eggs. And how wonderful for people that are new to this to be able to find something like that. I just think that's really wonderful. So you know, congratulations for doing that. I think that's really an amazing thing. And so, so very nice for most of us who are going to be getting into it new again. Um, looking at your business website and um, your social media presence, I mean, you really seem to hit all the buttons. I mean, you really are, I think, the perfect model for a business owner as far as doing social media stuff, because I see so many businesses that don't handle that well. Do you have any advice for people that are starting out trying to brand or start a new company? I do. And it, it is really important to be on social media. I think nowadays, if you're not, I mean, I know the first thing I do when I find a new product or something I'm interested in, I go do some cyber stalking and I, I see if they're on social media and a company that's not, you, you kind of wonder if they're even legit. Right. Um, but one thing I learned really early on 
you know, Facebook was the big thing for so many years and it's, it's sort of still around and it's huge, but it's kind of breathing fumes and engagement is down and a lot of people have left. So Instagram kind of seems to be the next latest and greatest, you know, unless you're like a Snapchat or TikTok person, whatever. Um, but the most important thing that I learned is that anytime I hear about a new platform, I immediately go and get an account and grab my name because the last thing you want to happen is for that brand new platform that nobody's ever heard of to become the next Facebook. You're late to the game. You don't get on it. Someone else has grabbed your name. I mean, I know people that got on Pinterest when it was brand new. Pinterest right. was actually promoting them, putting them out there. And they have millions and millions of followers and have earned probably hundreds of millions of dollars. You know, because right. anyone new to the platform, that's when you grow the fastest because it's not saturated. It's not crowded. It's not busy. So you have to always grab your account. I mean, I have accounts on some platforms that I don't even think are around anymore, but I just grabbed it just in case. Right. No, and you want to be consistent. I see too many brands where, you know, they're Julie's garden on Facebook and then they're, you know, Julie and her garden on Instagram. And, you know, they, you have to be consistent across all and you have to have your logo and your branding. Everything looks the same. So when somebody stumbles across you on Pinterest, they know immediately you're the same person that they follow on Instagram. I mean, and I, I encourage anybody listening to this to look at your website. The link will be on the uh, social media listings for the podcast, but uh, go, to, go check it out. You'll see what I'm talking about. It's really spectacular. So mm -hmm. I want to ask about your upcoming cookbook in February, the Fresh Eggs Daily Cookbook. I've seen what you've posted for the uh, trailer for it and what you've had online, and it just looks really wonderful. Can you tell us a little bit about your inspiration for writing it? Yeah, that was kind of funny. I, I think pivot is sort of the word of 2020, um, you know, with COVID and everything, everyone sort of was in a panic and maybe their livelihood was drying up or their income stream. So everybody was sort of pivoting and trying to make COVID work for them. And coincidentally, just before COVID hit, I had decided that I wanted to write a cookbook. I had it in my mind for a long time and my publisher actually wanted me to write another chicken book and I was kind of stalling, dragging my feet. I didn't really know what else I could write about because I've written six books on backyard poultry. Right. So then COVID um, hit and kind of right about that time I had gotten a cookbook deal. Um, my previous, my chicken publisher, when COVID hit, realized that chickens were going to be huge and begged me to write just a basic chicken keeping book, which I've already done. So I definitely wasn't interested. So I sort of pivoted away from probably one of the more popular, I guess, between sourdough bread and chickens. That was kind of what everybody yes. was into. Right. Um, so I, I pivoted away from something that was super popular. Um, but I think for me, it was the next step that made sense. You know, I've, I've taught people how to raise chickens. I've encouraged them to, to get started and shown them how to do it. And now they've got all these eggs and they don't know what to do with them. So for me, an egg cookbook was, was the next natural step. Yeah. I, I mean, because it really, I mean, it's one of those things when you start having a lot of eggs, you realize, oh my God, I need to utilize these. And it really is nice to have. So I, as a cook, I, I really appreciate that. What are some of your favorite recipes from the book? I know that's an unfair question, but what are some standouts <laughs> for you? Well, some of my favorite egg recipes in general, you know, something like creme brulee. I, I do, oh. I do. I mean, I love to eat out. I love fancy restaurants and I don't want people to be afraid of things like creme right. brulee, which really is not terribly difficult to make. Eggs Benedict is another oh. favorite of mine. 
you know, again, I think people get intimidated, but I mean, what's the worst that's going to happen? It's not going to yeah. taste good. And you just throw it out and try again. So some of these classics that do use a lot of eggs, I love tiramisu. There are so many things that eggs are in. I love making my own mayonnaise. I think a lot of nice. people don't realize that, you know, you can make your own mayonnaise um, or, you know, flavored sort of like aioli's garlic or, um, you know, dill or just different types of mayonnaise. Um, so I try to do some classics and, and things like that, but then just some others that are just favorites that um, are maybe a little bit more out there. <laughs> but to expand your, you know, fried scrambled repertoire that I think people sort of fall into a rut. Yeah, I saw that on your trailer, you had the wonderful braided bread with the eggs in it for Easter and then the scotch eggs, which is a personal favorite of mine. Nothing's better than a scotch egg and a nice pint. I mean, this is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, those are fun. I had a friend actually from the UK come and she taught me how to make them. She actually sells them around the holidays, sort of like a little cottage business. And she sells mm. them, I guess, to local restaurants. So she taught me how to make them. Um, and we made a maple bacon, which, <sighs> you know, for Maine, maple is, is so whatever, you know, it's, yeah. it's kind of a thing here. So that, that recipe is in, in the book. And I think, that's something that's fun. I mean, I had never heard of scotch egg before that, you know, and you are familiar with it. So oh, I guess so some good. of the recipes that I think people might not be familiar with, there will be a section of people that are, which is fun. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. So I want to ask you, well, what has changed in poultry production over the past few years? I know it seems from what I've seen with what you're doing and what you're talking about on your YouTube videos, things have changed quite a bit. It's not so, I think, uh, I think we touched on this earlier. You know, it used to be just like, well, if they get sick and die, they're gone. You know, they're expendable losses. And you're going the opposite direction. You're, you're, you're saying take care of those chickens, treat them well. So what do you think has changed in poultry production over the past few years? I, well, I think that is a big change. I think that pet, the chickens have been elevated from livestock to pets. I know that there are a lot of areas, um, even suburban areas, semi-urban areas that are allowing chickens now, small flock, maybe five or six chickens. I think they've definitely come into the backyard and out of a farm setting for the most part. So they now are considered more of a backyard pet. I mean, I don't know I would say 99% of the people who follow me name their chickens, which yeah. definitely was something that wasn't like a thing, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe 10 years ago. Um, but they do. I mean, you, you've had them and I had them as a kid and I don't know that, I mean, we named them when they were baby chicks and we played with them and we loved them. And then once they grew up and went out in the coop, we really didn't want anything to do with them. Yeah. You know, but, but I think that now people are realizing how pet-like they are and the personalities they have and how entertaining they are and they're good company. And there's so many benefits in addition to just the eggs. Well, yeah, when you do have a few of them, you really do realize some of them do have distinct personalities and kind of attributes. And 
they are smarter than people give them credit for. They're very interesting creatures. I think people don't give them enough credit. Oh, absolutely. I mean, everything wants to eat them. So just the fact that they've survived, they've got to have some brains, yeah. you know, because pretty much anything out there will, will eat a chicken other than like a rabbit. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, we have a lot of uh, things around here. Our raccoons and stuff make it really hard for us in our area. So, I mean, I would have to live somewhere apart if I had them because I definitely couldn't have them in the urban environment because we are really menaced with uh, raccoons where I live. And raccoons, man, they make it really tough. Yeah, raccoons are, they're smart and they have those fingers that they can open things up. And I think, yeah. you know, people think, oh, I have a little coop in my backyard and, you know, we have our golden retriever and we live in a neighborhood. And then they might put a trail cam up and yeah. see exactly what's walking through their backyard and just be shocked. Like you said, raccoon, fox, everyone has hawks. Even your dog or your neighbor's dog will kill your chickens, possibly. So it's really important to keep them safe. And I think people underestimate predators. That's that's probably the number one issue that people have. It's, it's yeah. hard. What separates your business from other poultry producers? Well, it's funny because from after launching the supplement line especially but having the books and everything you know I'm listed on Amazon and Chewy right along with major brands poultry brands um, and actually rank you know first page on all my listings on Amazon which is pretty amazing because I don't have a marketing or or advertising team I don't have a budget for that you know, I don't, I don't pay for any advertising, but I think that the, the huge benefit I have is that I'm a person and people can relate to me and they can see my chickens. So when they're looking at my product, they can also look at my Facebook or my Instagram or read my blog and see my chickens, my coop, you know, hear me talk about them. So it's very relatable. Whereas if they might then go to say the Mana Pro product and they go to the Mana Pro page or website, it's very impersonal and they don't really have anything to say, well, what is this product going to do? What are my chickens going to look like if I use this? And I think that's a huge benefit I have over some of these big brands. So I really can compete with them dollar for dollar, even though I'm not spending any money on advertising. Yeah. I remember um, always seeing very clinical, impersonal instructional stuff on chicken raising or the product lines. It was always very clinical. Like you're looking through a medical journal. And it always talked about everything as though the chickens weren't even living organisms. It talked about them just like you talk about soybeans or corn. You know, it was really weird and kind of surreal. Meanwhile, I stand there holding a chicken who's cackling yeah. away and I keep telling her to be quiet while I'm talking about whatever. I mean, I personally, I probably shouldn't even say this because I'll give them the idea, but I don't understand why more brands and not just chicken keeping. I don't understand why more brands haven't, especially in this, if this world of influencers and, and the, the huge following that people have why these brands don't pick somebody to be the face of their brand and yeah. understand the value of, of assigning a face that people can relate to. I it's so helpful. It. No, it's so helpful. I mean, I think it's one of the reasons why we have a reference desk in the library because people want somebody they can walk up to and ask questions. It's a human face. They want to put a human person there that they can talk to. And I think that's the same for animals. I mean, God, just having cats, for instance, you know, we go to the vet because the vet will help us if we don't know. And oftentimes with animals, you don't know, they can't talk to you. So mm -hmm. you do need that human in face. There's somebody that can kind of explain what's going on to you. 
and think about so think about cat food all the brands there's so many brands well what if one of the brands now had somebody that you follow on Instagram because they have a cat and they post all funny cat things what if that person was now in their commercials and on you know in magazine articles and and ads promoting that cat food yeah I mean, how make all the difference. would that be? Of course you're going to buy that cat food. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I'm, I, I, Even more than a celebrity, you know, because a celebrity you can't relate to as much. I think if these brands started working with regular people who happen to have large followings on social media, I don't know. I think it's a no-brainer, but. I think you're absolutely right. I hope people hear this and listen. I hope somebody in the industry will listen to this because it's such an important point and it's so needed, especially now because we really are looking for those kind of like promotional gurus that can kind of give us good info. You know, we want to talk to another human being, not, not a cartoon character or a logo, you know, we want a real interface. Right. Or, or someone you call the 800 number and like, who the heck knows if they even work at the plant or the place right. or even have chickens or cats or whatever. Yeah. yeah. You get like, a, I'll call you back later kind of thing that you never get a call back from. Right. What kind of advice can you give to somebody who's uh, thinking about getting chickens and starting out in it? One thing that happened during COVID was the knee jerk panic buying. And a lot of people bought chickens or chicks really didn't know anything about them, started following someone on Instagram maybe, and tried to learn piecemeal, just reading what that person chose to share on Instagram. And that's not really the way to learn about taking care of any animal. You know, you need to read books, you need to do some research. You know, I've read a lot of the um, educational sites or scientific sites, you really need to get a good foundation, a good background, make sure you know what you're doing before you get that first chick. Yeah. <laughs> Can, stuff can go wrong. And, and I just, you know, I, I can't stand when someone's on Instagram and they, you know, a interior designer or whatever. And she says, Oh, Hey guys, I just got chicks. Anyone have any advice for me? <laughs> and I'm just like, that's not, that's not how we learn. And then people just start spouting stuff out. I mean, some of it's good advice. Some of it isn't, but that's not how you learn to take care of an animal. No. And that more and more is how people are, or even if they follow me, I mean, don't follow me and expect to learn how to take care of chickens from my Instagram, because that's not the point of it. I just post random pictures of whatever is happening that day. And I might throw out a tip here or there, but you really need a good foundation, you know, like a book or, or my article on getting started with backyard chickens, something like that. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because we live in this weird age where you could just order a chicken coop and you could order the chickens, I guess, and or go get them at the feed store. And there's nobody really, I mean, it's so it's so tempting to just kind of like, you know, wing it. But it's not, it's not the it's not the best way to go with anything that's living. I mean, you could do with gardening, I guess, and like, you know, screw it up. And, you know, it's sad if your garden dies, but it's kind of really tragic if, you know, you really screwed up with living creatures, you know? Right. Exactly. And, and even with gardening, it's just such a waste of time. You know, if you're yeah. not, if you're not doing your homework first, it, it's just a waste of time and money and effort, I think. Yeah. Although it isn't really tragic if like a plant dies or a tomato yeah. dies. Or something. Yeah, I've applied that method uh, of uh, learning by error. Uh, it's, I, I don't recommend it. It's not a good way to go. No. What do you believe are some of the top misconceptions about raising chickens? What are some of the biggest mistakes that you hear people make other than what you've already mentioned? 
I, well, the biggest one, which we're seeing now, is that people thought that they had to have a rooster in order for their chickens to lay eggs. Right. And now they find out either they can't have a rooster where they are or they can't stand the crowing, you know, or a lot of people started hatching chicks. Yeah. And they didn't realize that about half of them were going to be roosters. Yeah. <laughs> so now a lot of roosters are getting dumped and they're ending up at shelters and that. So, yeah, people people don't understand you don't need a rooster for your chickens to lay eggs. Yeah. I could think they I could see reading old books and stuff how they might have that misconception, but yeah, you definitely I I never had a rooster and you don't need one. Um all right, so I just want to ask you this last question. I hope it's a fun one. If you could invite up to 10 people um, from history or present time to a dinner party, who would you invite and what would you serve? Oh, so I, I made my list and of course I lost it. I did make <laughs> up a list of 10 people, but as far as I can remember, it's actually interesting to me because there are a ton of celebrities who raise chickens and I think it would be oh. super fun to get them all around a table. Of course I would serve something with eggs. I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I would probably actually serve Egg Benedict because that would just be like, kind of classy and brunchy yeah. and maybe mimosas but so jennifer garner jennifer aniston gwen nice. stefani chris pratt um tiffany theason oh see now that's five i did have I actually did have 10 people who raised chickens who people probably don't realize raised chickens um and then reese witherspoon just because i think she would be super fun and she you know grew up in the country and probably had chickens as a kid yeah she's wonderful that's a great list. I like that. Well, I, I think wanna... it was only six, but but you get the idea. I mean, yeah. just people who who uh, you know for other reasons that they happen to have chickens and, and love their chickens. Well, I want to thank you for being on my podcast. I really love getting to talk to you, and I urge people to buy your cookbook when it comes out and to check out Fresh Eggs Daily website. It's a wonderful website. It's entertaining, it's fun, it's informative, it's really worth checking out. And I also Facebook too, and Instagram, uh, really nice content there. So thank you very much for that. Oh, I appreciate that. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Lisa Steele. I had a really good time talking to her and I thought she was really gracious letting me pick her brain like that. So tune in next week. We're going to have vlogger Helen Rennie, who has a YouTube channel where she discusses cooking techniques and a host of other things on YouTube. Please tune in for that conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it quite a bit. Until then, keep cooking. <laughs>